1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best to Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Even after apologizing for anti-Semitic comments following wide condemnation and after being ordered to do so by the interim NDP leader, Jewish groups wonder why Ottawa Centre MPP Joel Hardens allowed to remain in the party caucus. Among them, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, the Jewish Federation of Ottawa, and the Simon Wiesenthal Center for Holocaust Studies, whose president and CEO, Michael Levitt spoke with Libby.
2: This uh, notion that he went and uh, kind of confronted Jew- Jewish neighbors um, with this uh, sort of uh, uh, question about you know how much longer should we put up with this? And uh, you know, I think what he said in the in the piece was he asked many questions of Jewish neighbors here about how much longer we should put up with this. Um, according to the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, Ira definition of anti semitism. Um, the uh, holding Jews collectively responsible for the actions of Israel is a form of anti-Semitism. And, you know, can you imagine going out there and engaging in a way where you're sort of, you're bringing this up? And, and certainly in the way he explained it, he didn't suggest that people were asking or approaching him, hey, Joel, what's your opinion on this? He made very clear that he uh, has asked many questions of, of Jewish neighbors about this, and that is absolutely over the line. And let's be clear, it's not the first time. There's been longstanding tension between Ottawa's Jewish community and MPP Hardin. Uh So this is absolutely a pattern of behavior uh, that has really created much angst. And I have to tell you that um, I was speaking at, a, at an event in Hamilton on the weekend. This became sort of clear Saturday night. The amount of outreach that I got. Uh, from Jews in, 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 in Ottawa and across Canada. I know that the Jewish Federation, uh, has been active and has put out a, a statement on this, as of other organizations, CJ B'nai Brith, obviously Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center. But there's real harm done here by MPP Hardin's words. And, you know, he put out a, a an apology. Um, but again, it's an apology coming after multiple uh, go-rounds of him having negative engagements with the Jewish community.
3: Is there anything else? I mean, social media, there's a, there's a huge amount of anti-Semitism from the right as well. But is right. is is there any factor of, you know, a progressive left ideology that is, you know, behind this? Well,
2: I, I think that raises um, a, a lot of issues in terms of, of somehow Jews um, being classified as the oppressor uh, and uh as as power. And it harkens back, um purveyors of power. It harkens back, of course, to tropes that we've seen throughout time of global Jewish conspiracies, whether it's the media or banking, and again, the notion uh that somehow. It's the Jew that is responsible for society's ills. And we know that anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine of hate. This is part of the identity of the majority of Jews in Canada. The majority of Jews in Canada identify as being Zionists. And yet we're seeing on the left the this being used um, as a club to, you know, to beat, you know, Jews um, for having this identity. And this is very, very problematic and something that we need to continue working with through education. Education is a, you know, is a, is a, certainly at Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center, getting back to your original question about why are we pushing education in the case of uh, this current um, situation within the NDP, because we know that for some people it's malicious and for others it's ignorance. And whether it's in a school or whether it's at a university campus or whether it's in our political system, we very much believe that it is imperative um, to be reaching out, educating on what anti Semitism is, especially the new anti Semitism that is so pervasive on the left right now.
1: Michael Levitt, President and CEO of the Simon Wiesenthal Center for Holocaust Studies. I'm Bob Comsic for Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. With Christmas not that far off, just wondering, will there be a tree to place your presents under? Tree farmers are urging you to get yours early, as there are significant countrywide inventory shortages, meaning they're more expensive. Libby spoke with Shirley Brennan, Executive Director, Christmas Tree Farmers of Ontario.
4: When we talk about shortage, we have been seeing that there has been um, fewer trees available for certain species. So we've been dealing with that for about four years. So when we first started looking at it, our industry went in Canada from a $53 million industry in 2015 to a $100 million industry in 2020. We could not have predicted that rate of increase. We usually see about a 15% increase. So having that huge increase... Um, certainly did play a role in it. Part of that was the pandemic in 2020. People really wanted to get out and do things um, as a family, and uh, so they embraced coming out to farms and getting um, a real treat. The other thing that we're noticing, so we really started looking at this, is this just demand, or what's going on? And StatsCan report from 2011 to, and then the one that came out in 2021 shows us that we lost 20,000 acres of potential Christmas tree farms um, over the last 10 years. So that's equivalent to 30 million trees. So that plays into it as well. Would you have expected that
3: uh, since the pandemic, it's not going to be the same uh, this holiday? I'm not going to say it's over because it's rising, would you <laughs> expect that the demand would go back down a little bit? Uh,
4: you know what? Our our um, farms and, and growers are expecting that we're going to see the same sort of crowds that we saw last year. Some farmers that opened last, last weekend had great opening days. Uh, we also know that Mother Nature um, has affected us as well. So, you know, people came out in the beautiful weather. Um, Some people will wait until the weather turns so that it looks more like Christmas, like it it is now starting to. Um, And and farms across Ontario and across Canada have delayed, some have delayed opening, some have opened earlier, so that we're trying to accommodate all consumers.
3: People are being encouraged to get the tree early. So if you get a tree early and you take care of it, water it every day, how long will it last? Will it still be in
4: good shape at Christmas? For sure. So if you're getting a tree now, there's a couple of things you can do. And I'm not necessarily telling everyone to run out and get trees right away, right? Because we do have, over the last three years that we have been dealing with this so-called shortage. And I say that because there, it, my office has only received one or two phone calls saying that Hey, I didn't, I wasn't able to find a tree, or can you help me find a tree? So there are trees out there in different species. But what happens is, if you're going to go and get it now, um, some people will will leave it in controlled temperatures, whether it's in a, an unheated garage, whether it's out beside the house, but it's sheltered before they bring it into the house. But if you're going to bring it into the house, you're going to make a fresh cut on it, you're going to put it in water and you're going to water it all the time. Water is the key to keeping your Christmas tree uh, fresh and and healthy throughout the Christmas season, regardless of when you put it up.
1: Shirley Brennan, Executive Director of Christmas Tree Farmers of Ontario. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. As if there weren't already enough problems in our health system, there are already 1.8 million Ontarians who don't have a family doctor, but... A recently published survey finds nearly 20% plan to close their practices within the next five years. Nearly 4% in that group said they plan to close in the next 12 months. Libby caught up with Dr. Elisa Naiman, a family physician with the medical station clinic in Toronto, as well as Dr. Sohail Gandhi, a family physician and past president of the Ontario Medical Association.
5: I'm not surprised by the numbers given what I'm seeing uh, amongst my own colleagues. Uh, I am going to, however, call out one comment that we really need to put a stop to simply because it's utterly and completely false. And that's the statement that family physicians are not seeing people in person. Uh, you know, I was with the Ontario Medical Association. I was privy to confidential OHIP billing data. I can tell you right now, 97% of all family physicians see people in a mix of virtual and in-person, 2.5% of family physicians retired over COVID. So that explains the other two. So we're talking about less than half a percent of all family physicians. So let's put an end to this total misrepresentation and complete fraudulent claim that family physicians don't see patients in person uh, as a general rule. Okay, it's a very small number. With respect to um, why people are getting tired and are considering retiring, I think what we're seeing is a culmination of decades of mismanagement of the healthcare system. I mean, it's fashionable to bl- uh, to blame COVID, but uh, I've been on your show for a number of years now, and and you know, I was expressing concern about family medicine five, six, seven years ago. Dr. Nadia Alam has been on your show a number of times. I know you know her quite well. She's been saying the same thing for seven or eight years. Dr. Kamala Premji has been saying this for ten years. So, uh, people have been saying that there's a crisis coming for a number of years. They were ignored. And then COVID came and just exacerbated the crisis, and that's that's unfortunately what we're dealing with right now.
6: Well, I can tell you that in our office, that uh, we encourage all patients to come for in-person appointments, and we actually have a problem when people want to have a virtual appointment when that doesn't meet the standard of care, and a physical exam is required, and people just don't want to come in. So we're having a problem of not being able to have people come in. Um I agree with um, the statement about that it's inflammatory. About what the Minister of Health said last week, it, she basically places the blame for what's happening with the excess weight in the, in emerge uh, on family desor- family doctors. And I can tell you that here in our office, we are seeing a ton of kids that are sick. We are seeing adults who are sick. Uh, we're doing our best to try to make sure that people don't go to the hospital and. Family medicine is in crisis, and to have these inflammatory remarks by the minister of health was very, very upsetting. The bottom line is is that uh, the situation for for family medicine will be getting worse as more doctors retire and the older doctors work longer hours than the newer doctors, and people better hold on to their family doctor that they have and better hope that their family doctor doesn't retire or switch uh, their practice type, because it will be very difficult
1: to find another family physician. Dr. Elisa Naiman, a family physician with a medical station clinic in Toronto, and Dr. Sohail Gandhi, family physician and a past president of the Ontario Medical Association. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Coming up after the break, what to expect at the airport if you plan on doing any traveling over the holidays. You're listening
0: to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best
1: of Fight Back with Bob Komsik on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. As Canadians head into peak holiday travel season, what are their expectations at our airports? The transport minister's promising he's on it and that there will not be a repeat of the chaos so many experienced this summer at Pearson ranked the world's worst airport. So, is all good now? Libby spoke with John Graddick, former executive with Air Canada, Dr. Gabor Lukacs, president and founder of Air Passenger Rights, and travel expert Marty Firestone.
7: We got through in minutes, and I mean minutes. This is U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, many people going, but it could not have been any smoother. So, quite frankly, if it can continue like this, we'll all be in good shape. Wow.
3: How did that happen?
7: I think they've got measures in place. They have the ability to check in relatively quickly. Now, I have Nexus. That moves me ahead of the oh, line, no question about it. Oh, uh, spoiler. I'm sorry. That you need. And if you don't have it, try to get it how do you get it. I haven't figured that out yet for those who don't. But that really moved me along. And everything else has gone incredibly smooth.
3: Oh okay Martin uh <laughs> you, that was that was the spoiler alert for those of us who don't have nexus and of course there's a huge backup on nexus uh let's bring in our other guests john Graddock. i mean the the statement we heard from the minister is pretty vague um do you think that the airports have the capacity for you know schleppy passengers who don't have nexus uh to avoid uh what we experienced this summer
8: yeah well martin i just want to let you know the nexus offices in canada are still closed so yeah, we I haven't know. they haven't been reopened yet. So if you want a Nexus card, you know, stand in line behind me. It's, yeah, uh, you're out of luck. It's, it's a long it's a long process to get it. We don't even know when we're going to get it. But uh, you know, I think the Minister of Transport basically, you know, drew a line in the sand, you know, over the you know last couple of days, and telling both the airlines and the airports, let's not make sure, let's make sure we don't have a repeat of what happened in the summer. We kind of had a situation where the the airline industry basically, you know, overextended itself in terms of the operations that they were being planned for the summer, uh, and I think that uh, everybody's been going to be very wary of how the airlines are proposing to, to you know, plan to operate over the Christmas period. Uh, and I think you know, at the first sign of trouble, uh, there might be some uh, ministerial action taking place to kind of nip it in the bud and start to uh, thin things out if things are not. Running properly,
3: like and, you know,
8: mi- and, and the issue has always been staffing. It's still, and it still is there. You know, they still haven't got their numbers of staff that they're looking for.
3: Let us bring in Dr. Gabor Lukacs. Now we are in this uh, the regime of uh, passengers are being eligible for compensation in certain circumstances, and I've heard stories where two people traveling together, one gets compensation, and the other is told that it was outside the airline's control. Too bad.
9: Well, you just touched on the real problem with the APPR, which is that there are so many exceptions and loopholes that it is very difficult for passengers in practice to enforce their rights and even for judges to determine whether a given passenger is entitled to compensation. The APPR has been... a sham to create the appearance that we do have some form of passenger protection instead of actually creating real passenger protection following the european union's model what the problem is we are seeing now uh, with the uh, crew shortages uh, staffing shortages issues is that the airlines always claim that staffing shortages is outside their control and so if a flight has to be cancelled for staffing issues the airlines will tell you well sorry it was outside our control The the ministerial intervention, if it comes at a later day, uh, it may already be too late for passengers because they already booked tickets, they already made plans on the basis of irresponsible promises by the airlines to operate flights for which they don't really have the staff available.
3: Marty, I know that you are getting ready to board a flight. So uh, uh, what would you like to leave us with on this uh, airport airline situation?
7: Well, if today is any example, Nexus or not, because I'm still walking around now and it's quite manageable. It's crowded, but everything seems to be moving. So ultimately, let's hope by Christmas time it doesn't get uh, a lot worse than this. And just can- cancellation, and interruption, fraud for sure to look into when you're buying your next trip.
1: Travel expert Marty Firestone, John Graddock, a former executive with Air Canada, and Dr. Gabor Lukacs, president and founder of Air Passenger Rights. This is Uma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. On the first day of the new city council, which fell on the same day he received new powers from the province, Mayor John Tory tried to reassure councillors he would only use those powers in extreme situations. Libby talked with TO senior news editor Lauren O'Neill as well as two of five former mayors who wrote an open letter to the current mayor asking John Tory to hand back those additional powers.
10: It's the most extreme example of, of the powers, and, and it's, and it's one that just, we shouldn't stand for it. I mean, it, the idea that somehow the mayor of the day could determine whether or not the majority rule principle applies is absolutely beyond anything that anybody ever thought would happen in this city. It, 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 that it happens anywhere in the democratic process where you hand over to the mayor or the chief executive power that they could decide whether or not it's a third or a majority should, is going to vote on this and win. That's bizarre. Uh, that And that was our major concern. It, 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 and, and John may want to add to that but before he does. Let me say our second concern, just as just as important, uh, is that it, it's supposed to be exercised within the context of provincial interests. Well, the current provincial interests are the unraveling uh, of, 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 of the Green Belt uh, and the hollowing out of the, uh, the conservation authorities and a host of other rules and regulations that bind uh, municipalities and have absolutely disturbed the ways in which council has done its job below these many years so uh, the, 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 the the powers that were that, that uh, John Tory sought and got are really, uh, They're just unconscionable for the city, in my judgment.
3: Um, John Sewell, do you have any idea what he was thinking? And I'm even wondering if he said, I want, you know, more power, but uh, it was the province that came up with one-third rules. Yeah,
11: well, I mean, I I think he he thought, well, maybe there's some votes that he hasn't been able to get through. People have referred to the fact that the there was a vote about whether there should be rooming houses throughout Toronto. Um, and in fact, uh Council apparently voted against that, or he didn't think he had the votes for it. Interestingly enough, it was his allies on council who in fact were opposed to the idea. And he thought, Oh, I, I've gotta somehow have the power to do that. But but here's the problem. I mean, imagine having a politician, a leading politician that say, Oh, your vote doesn't count. Oh, and your vote doesn't count either. Oh, in fact, all you people on the majority, your vote doesn't count. You know, democracy is based on the idea of some sort of equality between us. You know, everybody has one vote, and votes count. And this legislation says that, no, no, votes don't count at all. Who cares about them? Uh, we'll just let a small rump group make decisions. Uh, the, the fact that that the mayor of Toronto suggested this is unbelievable. And of course, he did it during the election campaign. He didn't tell anybody he was doing it. I believe if he told anybody he was doing it, he would not have been elected. People would have said, we can't stand for this.
3: I want so, to turn to Lauren, Like, but you're in the demographic that presumably stands to gain from, uh, more houses, whatever they are calling it.
8: I mean, this demographic is also very, we're a lot about fairness and um the importance of democracy, I think you'll find a lot of politically active, especially the generation below Gen Z. I mean, majority rule is one of the key tenets of democracy. And so to see Canada's largest city, the mayor of Canada's largest city, and to learn that he suggested this that that he can put pass things through without the majority of voters that's that's scary, and that's kind of an insult to the democratic process. And I think the fact that he, he apparently asked for these powers but didn't tell anyone until after yeah. the election it was kind of shady so we definitely stand to gain a lot from increase in housing but i don't think anyone wants to see the green belt destroyed if they really know what's
0: at stake
1: lauren o'neill senior news editor of block to and former toronto mayors david crombie and john sewell i'm bob compsik and you're listening to the best of fight back coming up what you had to say about the week that was and the fight back knockout call of the week
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio,
1: pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Sharon in Mississauga wanted to talk about airline efficiency.
3: I had a great experience when I flew to Boston in September. Um, the flight was great, and the the airport experience was terrific. There was no delay. Um, there was a short delay going out there, but coming back, no delay at all. And uh, I don't have a Nessus card I'm on the waiting list. So, <laughs> yeah, so I had a, a terrific time.
1: Daryl in Toronto, not a fan of the new strong mayor powers.
2: I just wanted to, you know, to me this is crazy. It's it's almost a shame with the notwithstanding clause. And these things are going to be, you know, very, very bad, especially if we have the wrong people in office or using them. I mean, try and imagine if Rob Ford came by and had these powers.
6: Uh. I mean, it'd be a total zoo and a circus. And I think, I think that the, the mayor and also, in terms of the notwithstanding the problems, there needs to
2: be a body, an independent body, that reviews any of these things
6: and has to certify them as viable. Left up to whoever is in power.
0: And now, Fight Back's knockout call of the week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the fight back knockout call of the week, Pat in Toronto, who also weighed in on the new mayoral powers.
7: I'm very concerned uh, with all of this. I don't have a problem with Mayor Tory having this power, but I don't want it to be a general power out there for anybody who has elected the mayor. It's just
1: wrong. That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back knockout call of the week, phone us between noon and one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our fight back voicemail anytime. 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fightback. The
0: best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.